It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Stuck in the Middle Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the music, movies, and culture of Generation X. What is up, Slackers, and welcome back to another episode of the Stuck in the Middle Podcast. I am your host, Jason Eck. So here we are one week out from Thanksgiving, so hopefully each and every one of you got to have some time with family or friends or a combination of both, and I'm hoping that you found something to be thankful for. Um, I know that I ate a little bit less than I normally do, which is strange because the food was delicious as always we we have a friends giving because we really don't have any family that's you know super nearby i mean a couple hours drive um but we have made it a tradition at this point where we head over to our friends right here in town um they're they're a family very similar to ours and i don't give away you know people's names on on the show but they know who they are and i know that you know they do listen from time to time and you know they're they're family at this point but you know a couple with three kids, basically the same exact ages as our kids, and we've just been in each other's lives since our youngest were really our our youngest kids were babies when when we all first met. So they are such a integral and important part of our lives, and that's how we you know choose to spend our Thanksgiving. Now, normally we would have you know either one guest. My wife had a cousin who lived in Massachusetts who came for many years, uh, and then my stepdad came up for many years, but. Good for him. He recently got married and was spending this Thanksgiving with his newlywed bride. So here we are. And I just want to take a quick moment because, you know, it's one of those things where I try to go back and forth between individuals that make an impact that are Generation X and then content that may or may not be for us necessarily, or even for some of us who are at the younger stage of uh, Generation X. So there was recently a a sad and tragic news item. Um, so I think many of you have probably, well, if you have news or social media or anything like that, you would have heard about this. Um but sadly, so one of ours, uh, born September 4th, 1973, uh, Jason David Frank. So Jason, I'm having some audio issues here. So um, Jason David Frank played uh, Tommy, who was both uh, a White Ranger, a Green Ranger. So Tommy Oliver on the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers TV show. Now, certainly for younger Gen Xers, this was probably right in their wheelhouse. So when this show first became popular, now this is based upon a, you know, a Japanese program, um, slightly different name, but they were Rangers of some sort I'm trying to remember because there was one day that I'd, I'd stumbled across basically a marathon and I didn't realize it was, it was a marathon. When we got started and it was with my kids when they were younger and it was entirely in Japanese with subtitles. So I basically read, you know, all of it for, for hours and hours on end. But, you know, the kids kind of loved it. They were like, this is this is what it's based upon. They didn't realize that Mighty, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers had been around since the, I want to say like the late 70s maybe, um, with its uh, uh, Gosei Sentai Dai Ranger, um, which is what the, the original 
show and some of their original footage was based upon. But nevertheless, here in the States, it was Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and Jason David Frank played Tommy, who was, you know, kind of the leader and had been in many different iterations of the show, literally for decades through all of its different iterations and different generations of, of young people who were watching it. So I know for me, I was in my uh, late teens, early 20s when this show came out. And I will tell you, if if you're kind of a party boy, which I was, I will tell you, we got such a kick out of that show. Um, particularly those of us who grew up watching things like Kung Fu Theater and the creature double feature, which would be like a Godzilla movie, those kind of things. So it was just right up my wheelhouse. And I think that's what started eventually later on me having some fondness for anime. But J- Jason David Frank and his family, just, you know, my my deepest apologies and sympathies. I'm really sorry for your loss because by all accounts, kind of a great guy. Most people say so. You know what I mean? There's always those detractors and haters. And, and you know, we have our business dealings as we're going through life that sometimes don't go exactly as you planned. But Really, everyone just said great things and a really wonderful and gracious, you know, a gracious person with having a level of fame where people are are recognizing you all the time. But then being able to go to, you know, different comic cons, just different cons in general, and being very open and accessible to the fandom. And I think that's an impressive, uh, impressive trait, not to mention the fact that he was also a legitimate you know, martial artist and athlete, and that really lent itself to the role. So my condolences to the entire Frank family. So I had mentioned just in in this brief couple of minutes, things like anime and children's programming. So what really got me thinking was I, I saw something the other day and it, it made me start thinking about when I was a kid and what it was is that everyone knows Garfield, right? Everyone knows Garfield, the cat, but Garfield wasn't even the original orange cat. That was Heathcliff. So this got me thinking about one of my favorite things to do when I was a little kid. And I'm sure all of you, whether you are an early Xer or a late Xer, can fully relate to this. And that is the simple, unfettered joy of Saturday morning cartoons. This was what you waited all week for. Now, for any of you who are signed up for all kinds of sports all Saturday morning, sorry about that. But for many of us, it was a, well, some of us really, we got started early because we wanted to get up and, and watch shows. So any of us who have little kids, I will tell you, little kids get up at insane hours. And if your kids who, who might be similar ages to mine have a concept of Saturday morning cartoons, um, it's only because we as their parents kind of pointed it out because kids nowadays and even my kids, they had on demand and streaming like their whole lives. They had entire networks dedicated just to kids programming. It is mind blowing. So I tried to make it. So quick aside, when my kids were little, um, so they're all teenagers now, but when they were little, uh, I had a job that was basically on the other side of the state of Massachusetts. Now, Massachusetts isn't a huge state, But I was given a couple of different opportunities for jobs. And I had to come to the the hard decision of, do I want to sit in traffic for up to an hour and a half every day each way? Or maybe do an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes doing ungodly speeds on the highway and head out west. So basically my commute was going to be about the same Time-wise, distance was a very different story. So anyway, 
because of the fact that I worked so far away, there were times where I'd have to work late that I'd stay over where I was. And that would happen, you know, frequently. And at this time, my wife and I were very blessed in the fact that she had a, a part-time job that she was able to keep her foot in the door of this corporate job that she had. So she worked one day a week. That day was Saturday. Thus, Saturdays were dubbed Datterdays. Clever, right? <laughs> so Datterdays usually involved the kids waking me up again at some ridiculous hour. And we made it a tradition that we got up and we watched Saturday morning cartoons. And I made a point of calling it Saturday morning cartoons. So they understood the concept that this Saturday was a, a restful day, an enjoyable day. Until they all took their, you know, brief turns all playing soccer when they were little and that interrupted the mornings. Um, but Saturday morning cartoons was a really important piece of our childhood. Now, for me, I'd mentioned a million times, grew up with a broken home, which meant Saturday morning cartoons in and of themselves were different experiences depending on where I was for that particular weekend. So the way that it worked is I was with my dad every Wednesday and alternating weekends. So the other wrinkle would be sometimes one or both of them might have had something else going on, right? They were young. They were dating, but sometimes also working because the, the jobs that come with being young sometimes, you know, require some Saturday work. So I would also go and stay at my grandparents' house. So if I was at home... It was a very kind of mundane experience, you know, kind of roll out of bed and we have this little black and white TV and you watch whatever was on. So Saturday morning cartoons were basically relegated to your big three networks, CBS, ABC, and NBC. There was no Fox. There really was very well in the seventies. You, you had to be very wealthy and in a major metropolitan metropolitan area to even have cable. So it was bunny ears and whatever signal you can get. And you also had your couple of UHF stations. So you would have your, you know, for us, it was, uh, you know, channel 38, uh, channel 64, I think was a 64. Um, but you know, very, very modest number of, of programs. That's all you had available on the dial. And that would be just my normal morning routine, bowl of cereal, whatever, watch cartoons, my same TV couch, wherever, whatever apartment we were living in. Now, my dad, same thing, a lot of different apartments. And depending on the department, uh, the apartment, uh, different memories of Saturday morning cartoons. So, like, when are you going to get to the cartoons? Just, just hear me out. So, my dad, so my dad was a, a rather unassuming guy overall. Okay. But he had a colorful cast of characters as far as his friends went. Okay, And he was living for a time at a place that had been dubbed the Mud Shack. Now, the Mud Shack was in Wallingford, Connecticut, um, and it, it, the house was across from what used to be the old Kmart. It's a it's a Cinemark movie theater now or, or one of those. And it was on the other side of the railroad tracks, literally. The other side of the tracks. And this place was. So imagine all the places that you might have frequented when you were in your early to mid 20s. When you had roommates and you were dating and you were partying and you just started maybe working full time. Imagine that in kind of just this this dirt hole you know, they rented the whole house, so all all the floors, and you introduce a little kid into this scenario. So I will just say that uh, I, I had some um, uh, interesting lessons early in life, but I will clearly, and you know, well, this is what I'm getting at for the Saturday morning cartoons. I have a clear juxtaposition of Jabberjaw, so Jabberjaw. You know, the big shark uh, who talked like, uh, you know, three stooges, right? And a fight breaking out between two of my father's roommates who also shared a room directly across the hallway from my dad 
and my dad's door was wide open, and the TV's over in the corner, and Jabberjaw is on, and I look out the double doors out there, and these two guys are brawling. Brawling! Absolutely kicking the hell out of each other. So I tap my dad. 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 Um, so he wakes up. I go, uh, they're, they're, they're Luke and Jeff are fighting over there. He goes again, like this was a common thing. And he just kind of waited to see if it was going to die down or if he needed to get involved, you know, and he kind of just yelled at them and, and they stopped. So, um, yeah, you know, one of those guys also kind of had a tragic end and, and it's just, you can't make some of this stuff up, which is part of the reason I do the podcast too, is just that, you know, when I share some of these stories, but one of those two gentlemen, um, fell off a mountain, literally fell off a mountain was hiking with some family, not even friends, family. And he's like, Hey, I have to go relieve myself. Fell off a mountain. That's okay. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Terrible. Like that. It's just not a normal thing to say. Yeah. One of my dad's best friends uh, fell off a mountain. Weird stuff. So that was my experience being over at my dad's place and at different apartments. And then he had, you know, uh, different serious relationships, uh, you know. Much nicer apartments. And I, you know, you, you can, you kind of always remember where TVs are in your memory. At least I do, where every TV was ever set up. And, you know, there's this one apartment, you know, this nice little window looking over the yard. Beautiful. What a great thing. Get my cereal. Um, so then I very rarely stayed over at my mom's side of the family. Very rarely did I stay over there on, on the Saturday morning where I would watch cartoons there, but my, Maternal grandmother did have cable relatively early on, so I did get to see some other content there. I call it content. We didn't call it content back then. We called it programming, I guess, or just channels. Um, but my fondest, some of my fondest memories was going over to my dad's parents' house, a very modest colonial. And where I would stay was my dad's old room, which was, you know, Upstairs, you know, basically a, a walk up attic kind of thing converted into two bedrooms. The one had been for my dad, one had been for my aunt. And I would get up in the morning, you know, either they would wake me or I would just, you know, roll out of bed, little kid and go downstairs. And my grandmother would ask me, even though she knew what the answer was, what would you like for breakfast? Well, I was over at my grandma's house. It was scrambled eggs, jelly toast, chocolate milk, orange juice, and bacon. Except for that phase in the 80s where it was sizzling. If you remember sizzling, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Twice the sizzle, none of the fat, twice the sizzle, you know. Whatever that phrase is, but sizzling was either a turkey bacon or a fat-free bacon or whatever it was. It was basically just strips of leather that they seasoned and said, look, it's bacon. But anyway, normal bacon. Um, so sometimes she'd, you know, let me, you know, scramble the eggs, whatever it was. And then there was a little tray table and a little chair and she got me all set up and I was free to watch whatever cartoons that I wanted. And Saturday morning cartoons was just such 
a just a nice traditional piece of of childhood that I'm very fond of. So what were my favorites? So this isn't really a it's not really a top 10 list, okay? It's it's just kind of my my recollections, some of the things that I enjoyed seeing. So I've already mentioned, you know, Jabberjaw. Now, Jabberjaw was not huge on like the top of my list or anything else, or anything like that. It's just I can't help but remember it so vividly, in part because of of that, you know, anecdote and that experience. Um, but it was just such an odd thing because I was also raised in a in a three stooges environment. So every New Year's Eve here in good old Boston, Boston area, we watch the Three Stooges Marathon. Although my 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 daughter in particular has grown less enthusiastic about the slapstick comedy of uh, Mo, Larry, and Curly, and sometimes Shrimp. Shrimp. Wow, I can't even say it right now. It, that is amazing. I was going to call him Shrek, which is hilarious, uh, but I can't even say uh, Shrimp. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, one one of one of the other other brothers. Um, and of course we don't mention Curly Joe cause he doesn't really quite, quite matter. Um, they also had a cartoon by the way, which is uh, kind of odd, um, uh, because the voice of Jabberjaw, I think was Frank Welker, uh, who does a lot of the voices for some of the, the shows we're going to cover here. Um, it wasn't even the Stooges. They had their own bionic Stooges cartoon. Why? Why? What, what concept was that? I, I don't know. So, before there was Inspector Gadget, also not on my list, by the way, um, you had the Three Stooges superhero kind of thing. Uh, so um, one of the ones that <laughs> – so the main character is beloved, okay, beloved, and had already been in reruns for years for some content, um, even you know when I was little – um, so I am talking about a certain dog and a, uh, uh, a certain character that's of course voiced by, uh, Casey Kasem. For those of you who remember, uh, this is Casey Kasem with America's top 40. That's probably a terrible accent. All I know is, um, I, I loved Casey Kasem. So of course I'm talking about Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo. Now that started in 19. 19- 69. Okay. So Scooby-Doo, where are you? Had a, had a, a run of, let's see, 1969 to 1976. Okay. But there's also the fact that I cannot deny the era in which I grew up in. So of course we had the introduction of Scooby's little nephew, Scrappy Dappy Doo. But the Scooby and Scrappy Doo what they call it the the puppy puppy power power puppy power hour or something like that with with Scrappy, um, but you know that was a very clear I don't know not a generational divide but it probably was between your your early Xers and your mid to late Xers as far as their experience with with Scooby Doo because um, the the concept. It holds up. It holds up today. The the kind of the the mystery and the you know the bad guys are oftentimes the people that you know that are in disguise that are out for some nefarious and selfish purpose and they would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for that dog and those meddling kids, right? But Scrappy gets a lot of heat as as though. Even back then, you you had your critics, right? How how are you going to complain about a children's program that was specifically for children? It wasn't like it is today where they're trying to go ahead and have a – not to say that he never had double entendres back then, but it was much more innocent. So all these shows that I'm talking about, by and large, were actually for children and it wasn't meant to have any social commentary 
it wasn't meant to have anything offensive or, like I said, double entendres. It's not meaning to be, um, I don't know. It, it's not trying to, there's a, there's a word that I'm just not getting to that will come to me in like a minute and I'll be like, oh my gosh, subversive. There it is. There's the word. Um, there, there was no attempts at subversion in the cartoons. It was just, Hey, here's some cartoons. And there's usually some kind of, I say, usually some kind of moral lesson. So certainly with Scooby-Doo and Scrappy too, there was some moral lessons, right? Less so with Tom and Jerry. <laughs> so, so, you know, Tom and Jerry comedy show was for our generation as well. So it, it wasn't like the, the old, was it MGM? Um, I think it was MGM. Um, but, um, Tom and Jerry started out in 1940, 1940, where Hannah and Barbara were co-directors. And then you might have heard names like these, uh, Gene Deitch. Chuck Jones, Maurice Noble, Abe Levitow, Tom Ray, Ben Washam. You may not hear all those names and find them immediately recognizable, but if you go back in your mind's eye, you've seen their names come across your screen so many times watching Tom and Jerry. So like I said, Tom and Jerry had the the movie franchise, but then they kind of moved into the Saturday morning, you know, kind of genre, which is uh, the Tom and Jerry comedy show ran from 1980 to 1982, which is by MGM television. And this was um, some new content. It was some new content. Um, and this is when they were using more and more of the secondary characters for storytelling, whatever storytelling, you know, there is, but it's like, you know, Cat chases mouse, dog chases cat, dog chases cat who is chasing a mouse. And then the mouse, Jerry, makes it worse for for the cat because of course he does. Honestly, I mean, Jerry's the kind of the bully in this whole situation. Poor Tom. I mean, you know, he's just trying to do his job. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, that, that 80, 81, 82 era, I mean, I was a little kid. That was kind of my... My Tom and Jerry. Um, so it was a little bit different. Animation style was certainly a little bit more modern than, than the older versions. But even then, for TV cartoons, which were, were being done in an episodic way where you had to consistently be creating, these were hand-drawn, hand-painted cartoons. This, this wasn't, you know, plugged into a computer and, again, not again, but... That's not easy to do. You know, c computer design and, and generation, not easy to do. However, if you were to do the, the kind of uh, basic backgrounds, right, which, you know, they if they're running, the background is going behind, right? So I guess it was Hanna-Barbera who kind of trademarked this um, as far as using the same background repetitively for a running sequence, right? You get to the end of the thing, you just, you just, you're repeating it over and over again. Not so different than what they do with some CGI, with background characters who are repeated over and over. Honestly, Disney also would take their prints and paint over them so you have the same movements in multiple movies. So I think you've probably seen online, if you haven't, check it out. It is doing a comparison of the Jungle Book with uh, Winnie the Pooh. And the movements between uh, Mowgli... And Mowgli, 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 and Christopher Robin. It is like shot for shot because that was meant to be on a on a budget. People were budget conscious and you had to come in on time and under budget. But Tom and Jerry, beautifully animated. And then the updated version was a little bit more sterile, but still so simple. And it's and it's so interesting because there's a, a another that I'm going to mention from, from our days, which is the Looney Tunes. And Looney Tunes and Tom and Jerry share a couple of things in common. So one, they're coming from a 
you know, uh, Hollywood yesteryear and, and some of those things just, they hold up, right? You can watch them now and they're, they're brilliant. Now with, with Looney Tunes and Tom and Jerry, these were not originally specifically targeted at kids. These were targeted to be in movie theaters because adults would also go and see cartoons because movies were still, you know, a, a relatively what, you know, in, in major production a decade old, as far as like consistent and like big openings by major studios. Um, and those were subversive and of course, extremely violent. So there's often conversations about, you know, violence in today's content and how we perceive it. And I, when I chuckle there, it's, it's only because me personally, although I can't say this probably didn't happen somewhere. So now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, gosh, some, some stupid kid somewhere probably tried or, or would have tried to drop an anvil on somebody. But ultimately, many of these things were so far-fetched. We'll be like, well, what about, what about, um, you know, Elmer Fudd shooting Daffy Duck point blank range in the face? You're right. These are bonkers, bonkers things. But they're also done in cartoons. So it's like, ah, but is it that bad when it's, it's played for the laugh and it's not bloody? It's just, I don't know. It's a different time in a different place, but Looney Tunes, Tom and Jerry, old Hollywood is what these were that were being repackaged and repurposed for our benefit. And that's the Saturday morning cartoons. So I've already mentioned Hanna-Barbera and I've also mentioned a Warner Brothers project, of course, with, with Looney Tunes. And I mentioned Heathcliff. So Heathcliff was packaged a couple of different ways. But Heathcliff has a hell of a theme song. I'm not going to try to um, sing it, but you should check it out. Um, it's it's kind of fun. When you hear it, you go, holy cow, I remember that. So the first iteration was uh, Heathcliff and the Cadillac Cats. Heathcliff and the Cadillac Cats, which was in 1984. So Here's some names that you'll remember. So we talk about Warner Brothers. We talk about Hanna-Barbera. We talk about, you know, all these uh, MGM, big studios. But do you remember Deek, D-I-C, along with Ruby Spears? So Ruby Spears was a a um, a production duo. Um, but I think that they might have been an offshoot of Hanna-Barbera. Like, I think they started with Hanna-Barbera, and then they moved on to Ruby Spears. So they had a bunch of stuff. So you'll you'll recognize some of these names. Um, Fang Face. I don't remember that one. Goldie Gold and Action Jack. The Plastic Man Comedy Adventure Show. Do you remember that? I, I enjoyed Plastic Man. Not on my list for today. Um, it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You've worked hard for what you have your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. One of them that we'll come back to because it's on my list and an all-time favorite. You have Rubik, the amazing cube. I don't remember that at all. And, uh, you know, Rubik's cubes were huge. Um, a 1984 version of Alvin and the Chipmunks. I do remember that briefly. Mr. T. Did you know the Mr. T series? And I saw this and I was blown away. This ran for like 
a couple of se- three seasons, 30 episodes of the Mr. T show. That is fascinating. But Mr. T was as big a star as anyone at that time. So you didn't just have Mr. T, the, the cartoon. You had Mr. T, the serial. Um, sectors, sectors, warriors of Symbion. Um, a line of action figures released by Coleco. Remember Coleco? But gosh, what a name. Sectars. Yeah, I think that was probably a big loser for the name. Um, the Centurions. There was a 1988 Superman series. I remember that vaguely. There was a Police Academy animated series. I don't quite remember that either, although I'm sure I'd know it if I saw it. Um, and they also did a Mega Man series in the 90s. Um, I don't remember that. I wasn't really watching cartoons then. Um, I can't say that. I was watching Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and probably the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, so I'm not going to lie. But, uh, you know, they're still doing stuff, and they also do... Um, yeah, they've done some work with Rambo. Oh, that's right. There was a Rambo cartoon. Rambo, the force of freedom. How can you make an animated series out of Rambo? Nevertheless, Ruby Spears did it. Fascinating. Um, <laughs> so Heathcliff, that was huge. Um, so it was also sometimes with Marmaduke, a uh, bunch of other, I think, iterations to keep it, I guess, fresh and new. Um, but I guess, and here's a, a name for you, um, Mel Blanc. Blank? Mel Blanc? Mel Blanc. I think it's Mel Blanc. I want to say Blanc, like Mont Blanc. His name looks like Mont Blanc. Melvin Jerome Blanc. One of the most, if not the most, well-regarded voice actors in the history of Hollywood, without a doubt. And, I mean, his list... Of voices is like astounding. So let's see if they have a. I mean, it's everybody. Bugs Bunny. And I think he did Bugs, Daffy, Porky. He did Woody Woodpecker. Um, and like so many of those characters. Um, Plato Platypus. You remember that one? Uh, he did Tweety, Foghorn, Leghorn, Tommy Turtle, the English Bulldog. Um, he did Sylvester as well, not just Tweety. Um, holy cow. I mean, his his run was amazing. Uh, Elmer Fudd, Granny, Yosemite Sam. Uh, he did just about all of them and also did, you know, here, here's like his list from our era, right? So I'm going to go from, let's see, if you were born in, 65, for example, let's say you're four to five years old. So we're going to start at this like 1969 to 1970 era. The Perils of Penelope Pitstop. No idea. Uh, these movies are TV. TV. Um, where's Huddles? The Pebbles and Bam Bam Show. I remember that in rerun. Um, Daffy Duck and Porky Pig meet the Groovy Ghoulies, a movie. You have the Flintstone Comedy Hour, Speed Buggy, the new Scooby-Doo movies. Um, Looking more for the Saturday morning stuff. Scooby's All-Star Laugh Olympics. That was amazing. The Laugh Olympics. And he was Speed Buggy, Captain Caveman, and Barney Rubble. So Fred Flintstone and Friends. I mean, it's really an impressive list. So any major character, particularly from the, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s with a career that ran through the 90s. I mean, Mel Blanc is the guy, like the guy, along with the guy I mentioned earlier, Frank Welker. So these are legendary cartoons that, like I said, definitely push some boundaries and some limits, but the stuff like the Heathcliffs and the Marmadukes were all very, very innocent. Speaking of innocent, um, I was a little bit older when this came out. Uh, I was 10 years old. Now, I say older. What I mean by that is I'm still very much in cartoon mode, right? 
But I think I've gotten used to the fact that they've so hyper focused their demographics on particular age groups with your, you know, your Nickelodeons and your Disney's, right? Your Disney Junior is for a different group, right? But when this show came out, I don't know. I thought it was great because it was a new twist on like like beloved characters. And that was the 1984 series, The Muppet Babies. This show aired from September 15th, 1984 to November 2nd, 1991 as part of the Saturday morning cartoon lineup on CBS. I mean, that's a really good run for a Saturday morning cartoon with baby versions of all of your favorite Muppet characters. I think everyone, much like myself, I mean, how do you not love Baby Animal and Baby Beaker? Well, Baby Bunsen (laughs) was, like, awesome. Like, really, really great. And, of course, you know... Um, the, the twins, you have, uh, Skeeter, uh, and what was his sister? Was it Scooter? Was it Skeeter? Yeah, Skeeter and Scooter, uh, baby Fozzie, um, uh, Uncle Statladder and Statler and Waldorf. Oh, <laughs> whoa. Holy cow. So, so get this. <laughs> um, Barbara Billingsley, Mrs. Cleaver was the nanny. On that show, on uh, Muppet Babies, and and the guy who broke Alanis Morissette's heart, theoretically, maybe perhaps allegedly, Dave Coulier, Joey, Joey from Full House, he was Baby Animal, Baby Bunsen, Baby Bean Bunny, Baby Janice, Uncle Statler, and Waldorf, Camilla, and of course himself. Howie Mandel was Baby Skeeter, Baby Animal, and Baby Bunsen at different times. So, oh, so Dave Coulet was 86 to 91. Originally, it was Howie Mandel uh, from 84 to 86. And then, uh, like I mentioned, Frank Welker, Kermit, Beaker, Skeeter, Camilla, Irma, uh, Chief Inspector of Scotland Yard, Polly the Parrot, Adult Kermit, and Bosco the Snowman. I mean, that's like not quite an all-star lineup, but you definitely have some people who either shortly were going to be or for a time were very, well, Howie Mandel's A-list. Dave Coulier is like B-list then and like C-list now. No offense to Dave Coulier. Not dissing. Very, very famous. Very, very successful. Um, But I'm just shocked to look at that list of people who were on that show. Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, but that was so innocent. It was so innocent. And I just, I, I guess I miss innocence and, and allowing children to have it. Cause I think it's, it's so important. Um, and a lot of the content that my kids watched when they were little was really wholesome content because that was important to make sure that what they were watching. And if it, it got a little bit too, you know, action oriented, although I was probably going to be okay with it. You know, I sat down with my wife and we said, look, you know, the show is okay for the older one, but it's really scary for the younger one. It's always a matter of, of tempering things to make sure that you're doing something. But back then you could pretty much watch just about anything on Saturday morning cartoon and you would find it to be appropriate for all ages, as they say. So now we're going to get into, with the time that we have left here, my three favorite cartoons, although short-lived. And I think that's a bit of a tragedy that they were short-lived. Now, the next one is also an all-star cast. If, if you're from our era, otherwise you may not think so. So I am talking about TSR's very own 
Dungeons and Dragons, the animated series. This had the most killer opening sequence. You're always reminded of what happened to these kids and how, again, within a, within a, a backdrop of, of, of positive stories, right? Innocent stories. They had this little bit of element of, oh my gosh, if, if I go through the, what was it called? The, not the haunted house. It was one of the thrill rides or whatever it is. I guess it was a haunted house or, an, or a fantasy ride. And next thing you know, you're going to be in another dimension. But then you get really cool powers and cool stuff. So that makes it all worthwhile if you get sucked into another dimension. And you have this little Yoda-like guy called the Dungeon Master who's going to guide you on your way. This went for three seasons, 27 episodes, and has some, at the, at the time in particular, famous people. I guess particularly if you watched certain programming, um, everything from, you know, eight is enough, <laughs> you know, uh, eight is enough brought you two of the main characters of the show. So Hank is your leader, right? And Hank is the ranger, right? So he's, he's, you know, the, the main guy and he's got the cool, you know, bow and arrow, glowing arrows, energy arrows, whatever that is played or voiced by Willie Ames, Willie Ames, best known for eight is enough as well as Charles in charge. Next, you have Eric, the Cavalier, the spoiled child. He, he's described as originating from a rich home. On the, er, on the surface, Eric is a big-mouthed, comic-relief coward, but he is heroic at his core and frequently saves his friends from danger with his magical griffin shield, which can project a force field. Played by Donnie Most Ralph Mouth himself. Amazing. Amazing. So even though you, you might have been very aware, so of course... You know, Ralph Mouth from Happy Days. Um, I feel like you, you didn't get to, I don't know. There was still such a suspension of disbelief that even though these were recognizable voices, like I didn't even really think about it. I mean, Ralph Mouth has a very distinct voice. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was, let's see, uh, 83? Wasn't Happy Days still on the air then? Um, so next you have Diana, the acrobat voiced by Tanya Gale Smith. And I don't have any other information. All, all it says is an acrobat who carries the javelin staff, which, you know, can either be really short or really long, depending on what you need for battle or whatever. Next you have Presto, the magician, right? Presto fulfills the role of well-meaning, diligent, but hopeless magic user, Played by another Eight is Enough alum, Adam Rich. Now, Adam Rich was the the mop-headed, bull-cutted baby boy on Eight is Enough and grew up right before our eyes. And this was one of his, you know, other big jobs around the time. Um, so, again, right there, you have some really well-known people. But then you have, uh, let's see, Katie Lee as the thief, has a cloak of invisibility. You have Bobby the Barbarian. Uh, again, uh, Ted Field III doesn't have a, an entry here. But then Frank Welker plays the baby unicorn, the pet of Bobby. And then finally, the Dungeon Master, voiced by Sidney Miller, the group's friend and mentor, but is often speaking in a cryptic way that does not make much sense until the team has completed the quest of each episode. Very Yoda. Um, I don't think the syntax is quite as bad. And your, you know, your main villain, uh, Vengar, the force of evil, the shadow demon, the nightmare. It's a black horse. It's the night mare. Tiamat, also voiced by Frank Walker. Venger's arch-rival, a fearsome female five-headed dragon with a reverberating multi-level voice. 
and each mouth on each head would breathe something different. The white head breathed ice, the green head breathing toxic gas, a central red head was breathing fire, a blue head breathing lightning, and a black head breathing acid. And then finally, Karina, the sister of Wenger and his rival in Conquering the World. So um, I just loved it, and I just keep hoping, and I don't know, I, I haven't seen any of the Dungeons & Dragons uh, movies that have come out over the past couple of years, but just just do that series, except live action. Hey, we're on the ride at the carnival, the local fair, sucked into another dimension. All the characterization, the story is right there. I don't know who owns it. I do see that it said there was a, in conjunction with Marvel Productions, but make the movie or or remake that series. I would love to see. I'd watch it now. It's good stuff. Now, similarly, similarly, also in the fantasy realm, and also an interesting mix of pop culture phenomenon at the time. So <laughs> we have um <laughs> sorry I'm I'm laughing because the the juxtaposition when standing on its own is fascinating but somehow it worked <laughs> so um you might remember that there's this uh um Wow, this came a little bit earlier than I thought it did. That's so interesting. Ah, yeah, but the comic book. Okay, so what are you talking about? I am talking about Thundar the Barbarian. So Thundar the Barbarian, you look at it and you kind of go, just on face value, right? Just on face value, you go, oh, it's a Conan ripoff. Right, it's a, it's a Conan the Barbarian because the the Conan the pulp books and the comics were very popular, and I think Marvel was the uh, they were the publisher at the time in the in the eighties. That I think they had all the the Conan uh, licensing at that time. But um, I was thinking that this came on the heels of the Arnold Schwarzenegger Conan the Barbarian movie, but that was nineteen eighty two. So. This came out in 1980. Now, what it did get influenced by and somehow found a way to mash up with Conan the Barbarian was Star Wars. Clearly influenced by Star Wars because there's a laser sword that the main character wields. You also have a princess. And, oh, wait, you have some weird furry character <laughs> what is it uh uh ukla the muck muck the <laughs> ukla the mock i mean clearly this is like chewbacca right um but okay thundar uh voiced by robert ridgely uh known mostly for voiceover work what else has he done um he's been in films like uh as an actor but nevertheless um thundar was known for frequently uttering such pronouncements as demon dogs lords of light and i'm not going to do his war cry but it's just it's so funny because demon dogs <laughs> and it's just Thundar, along with his friends Ukla, along with his friend Ukla, are largely unknowledgeable about the world and rely on Ariel, the princess, guidance. But Thundar is respectful of knowledge gained. Thundar liked to learn. See the message? Um, Ariel is a, a powerful sorceress. You don't you know, you learn much about her past, but they have one of my favorite villains of all time. But for the stupidest of reasons, and then one kind of good reason. So the, the good reason, character design. Character design, flawless. And that is one of the main bad guys is Gemini, who literally has a face that spins around. Now, this came into play 
with Masters of the Universe later on, but it happened here with Gemini. And Gemini would have kind of one malevolent and one benevolent face, although still ultimately an evil guy, right? But my astrological sign is Gemini. And I have a family, particularly on my mom's side, really into, you know, astrology and astrological signs and those having some relative meaning, you know. So <laughs> it just cracks me up because Gemini has nothing to do with Gemini really other than the fact that they say, hey, there's two different, you know, there's a dichotomy in character. And while I admit that it's very, very true, um, it's just such a silly reason to like it. I'm a Gemini. Oh, my God. He's my favorite bad guy. It's so stupid. Um, but just as an aside, I'm looking at some of the additional voice actors that have been on. So Michael Bell did a lot, a lot of voices. Everything from Transformers, G.I. Joe, Smurfs. Oh, Smurfs. You mentioned Smurfs and Snorks. Those were huge. I have little uh, Smurf figurines. I had a bunch of those in our last house. They were all in little little spots throughout the house that you'd have to look carefully to find them. Go, oh my God, it's like they lived there with us, right? Um, Stacy Keach, um, Nancy McKeon, um, let's see, uh, Alan Oppenheimer. He did a lot of voices. Um, Joan Van Ark. Holy cow, huh? I mean, these must have been good paychecks i'm imagining to do the voiceover work because they would get working tv actors to do this stuff so thundar the barbarian uh two seasons 21 episodes but also a ruby spears joint and uh i thought it was a lot of fun so last but not least i've i've said it a million times um Maybe I haven't actually. Maybe not enough. Uh, maybe that'll be a future episode. Um, comic books. I was a huge comic book fan. Huge dork. I, yeah, I, I have told this on on the podcast before because I kind of had to make a decision at some point. Um, you know, however many comics I was getting per week, per month, etc., um, or have money for my girlfriend. I chose having a girlfriend. Um, so um, there was a very well-known cartoon that was uh, also Hanna-Barbera. And it ran. So production companies, Hanna-Barbera, Hanna-Barbera, uh, DC Comics, and Warner Brothers Television. I am talking about the Super Friends but there is a version of the Super Friends that I'll get to in just a moment. Because what I actually wrote down was very specific. Because there was a progression of the Super Friends. So you have your very early Super Friends. That ran 1973-74. I was only seeing those in reruns. Then you have your all-new Super Friends hour from 77 to 78. I would have been watching then, though, really little. So then you have Challenge of the Super Friends. So that's what I first really remember was the Challenge of the Super Friends that had that killer opening with the bad guys. It was so cool. Uh, but that ran, that iteration was uh, 78 to 79. Then you have the world's greatest Super Friends. I mean, it's just, it, it's still kind of the same crew. Where you have your, you know, your basic superheroes, which are not called the Justice League, or they're occasionally called the Justice League. I, I forget exactly because they have the Hall of Justice, but you have, uh, you know, Zan and Jaina, the Wonder Twins, and their little monkey Gleek, right? One turns into water, the other turns into animal. Um, before that, you had Wally and something or other. Um, gosh, what were their names? Um, the all new super friends hour. Um, oh, Wendy, Marvin and wonder dog. Okay. So those were, uh, really a part of the, the first iteration of the super friends, then replaced by Zan, Jaina and their buddy Gleek. You also had kind of a rotating cast of characters at different points where they would cycle in different heroes. So 
Adam or Green Lantern, whatever. But then, then, at some point, so they had the, so the, the, the 1984-85 season was called Super Friends, the legendary superpowers show, okay? And that was the first time in animation that my all-time favorite comic book character of my youth was on the Super Friends, and that was a character named Firestorm. Now, Firestorm is the nuclear man. I could do a whole episode on Firestorm. Um, I will get a fraction of the listenership, I'm sure, except for hardcore DC fans who even know who Firestorm is. But fascinating character, one of my all-time favorites. I have a number one of both series, like both original series, so the original Al Milgram version, um, and then like the early Pat Broderick stuff. Um, I have it all. People who know comics know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but then he was introduced here. So then you got the kind of the, the, the newer bad guys, right? So previously had been all of your, your Lex Luthor's, your Brainiacs, you know, um, Lex Luthor, Brainiac, Joker, Penguin, like all those, right? Cheetah. But now they were introducing characters like Darkseid and Apocalypse. So Darkseid and the whole new gods, Jack Kirby stuff. But that was still very much rooted in the typical animation style, right? But then, for the final, you know, season of Super Friends and the Superpowers, you had the Superpowers team, Galactic Guardians. And this had amazing animation for the opening of the show. And on the show itself, there was a real... Increase in quality of the animation itself. It was this next obvious move forward. Because I think at this point, surprise, surprise, the kids are starting to gradually get older. The artwork in the comics is getting much more sophisticated. Because now when you're getting into this time period from like, yeah, that early to mid 80s. I mean, this was... Marv Wolfman, George Perez, like time period, like for again, for the comic fans, this was a huge move forward for DC with some of these these writers. So Marv and George Perez were doing like the Teen Titans and they ended up doing, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths, yada, yada, yada. But this real increase in the quality of the artwork and the stories and it was my favorite version of the quote-unquote super friends. That is the superpowers team, Galactic Guardians, which also was the introduction of Cyborg, who, fast forward, I don't know, 30 years later, they they retconned him into being an original member of the Justice League in the New 52 series uh, of DC. So they have been working on moving Cyborg because he's such a beloved character moving him out of the Teen Titans and into the grown-up group, if you will, which was the Justice League. They have been working on this forever. So for anyone who was like, why they go ahead and, and put Cyborg in the Justice League? He's a Teen Titan. Go back to 1985-86 season of the Superpowers, and you will see clearly that Cyborg has been in DC's plans as a major hero for a long time. But that was my favorite cartoon as a kid. All the iterations of the Super Friends and the Superpowers, and I had all the Superpowers action figures and loved it. So much fun and such a fond remembrance of youth. So the question I have for all of you, and I'm really having a hard time getting you all to go out onto the social media and to just tell me, what's your favorite cartoon as a kid? So I am going to make sure that this week I post on Facebook, specifically Facebook, and maybe on Instagram too, for you to tell me what were your favorite Saturday morning cartoons. Because I know I've missed many. Some of them I've missed purposefully. So how can you let me know what your favorite 
Saturday morning cartoon is? Well, you can head over to the Facebook page, Stuck in the Middle, a Gen X podcast. You can head over to Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at StuckPodX. You can email me at StuckInTheMiddlePod at Yahoo.com. Please like, comment, leave five-star reviews. Please share it with family and friends who might be interested. And most importantly, please subscribe to the podcast. So, until next time. Later, slackers.